uh, a blessed morning to each one of you here at the Winkerberg Toller Mennonite Church and also to each one that's going to be listening to this worship service. For our call to worship, let us read, uh, well, I have John 12, verses 44 to 50. I'm going to just read a few verses as an introductory from verses 41 to 43 and then over verse 44. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear, they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And then from verse 44, Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only but on the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That, that very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me. Please join me in prayer. Dear loving Father, we thank you that you love and forgive us as human persons. We thank you for your word that we can depend on in a world where there is so much which we cannot depend on. We pray that you would lead Mark Elias and Carol Unruh as they lead us in worship through song, and Elsie Rempel uh, in the reading of your word. Bless each one of us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. So I found a new section of the hymnal. We're going to sing out of there today. It's all about God. So we're going to be singing songs 49, 15, 51. So we'll start with song number 49. This is my father's world.
So like I was saying, the next song is the next song. Number 50, I sing the mighty power of God. Let's sing, I mean stand to sing this one. reading history and um, at the tops of our songs they have who wrote the song and when it was written and I noticed this song is written by some guy named Francis of Assisi a long time ago um, and the tune is taken from the Kirschen Gazan book of Köln, Germany in the 1600s so this is an old song but the song we're singing is not quite this song because it was modified um, in the 1960s. No, just after 1900. This is the modified one, song number 52, but we're singing 51. So we're gonna sing the modified one, and um, it's a good song. And we will be singing verses one, three, four, and five. So we'll skip verse two. Thank you. 
Let's take a brief look at life in the church. Um, this week at Berktaller, at uh, Monday, there will be a 7.30 finance committee meeting in the evening. Tuesday morning will be a women's prayer group, and Wednesday will be uh, at seven in the evening an education committee meeting. Um, take a note at life in the church. On a trial basis, our worship services will start at 9.30 for the month of August, with the exception of next Sunday being Harvest Festival, there will be a worship service here at 8.45, but there will also be the Harvest Festival worship service at 10 o'clock. And there's a suggestion box. Uh, I'll just read that. Open, open lines of communication are important for good fellowship. Therefore, the suggestion box will again be available in the foyer to receive your thoughts and suggestions on all manners, on all matters. This is not for accusations, but for suggestions. And please sign any of your suggestions so that further follow-up is possible. Um, under persons with health needs, there's Menno Nettie Jansen, Jeremiah Alexier, Sarah Neufeld, Anne Weens, and what's not in the bulletin is Marge Thiessen. Uh, I'll let you read the rest of the uh, part. There's uh, David Unger, a member of our congregation, passed away on Thursday, and uh, July 25th, and his funeral was uh, August 2nd. I'll let you read the rest of the announcements, including birthdays, and there's even a few of them today. Uh, one announcement that's not in the bulletin Pemina Valley Bible Camp is looking for volunteers to bake cookies for them. They use over 600 cookies per week. And please see Debbie Siemens after the service in the East Side foyer if you're able to help with that. They would need to be delivered to the church earlier this week, sometime this earlier in the week. Again, please join me as we, as we pray. Dear God, we praise you for listening to us and understanding us. We pray that you would open each of our hearts to you. Lead each of us to seek and follow your will as we listen to what you have to say to us through your word and Pastor Victor Engbrecht's message from you. Bless each one in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.
Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be taken from Romans 9, chap- Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Subtitled is God's Sovereign Choice. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is tried, is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that our offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Thus far today's reading of the scriptures. If any of you were uh, here during the week, you will have noticed that there was quite a bit of hubbub in the foyer and uh, in the building uh, with the DVBS. I tell you, that was good to see. And uh, all these kids and all these people involved, it was just a very good, very good experience, I think, for the kids. They seemed to enjoy it. And I think our volunteers did too. Uh, so we hope and pray that the, the, the seed planted will bear, bear much fruit. So I'm hoping one day we'll have a report from that uh, committee uh, in, in not too many weeks from now. Uh, I have a picture here. I hung one uh, like this in the foyer, and I would encourage you to go and have a look at it. Um, I was a participant in the uh, Hans fundraiser uh, um, in, when was that? In spring, for Asani and his ministry to uh, his people back in the Congo. They've built a school there. And what you see on this Uh, picture is there's a big sign on their school. It says, thank you, Winkler. (laughs) Isn't that amazing, eh? They want to express their thanks to Winkler because they know that their school is there because people of Winkler have contributed. Anyway, it's in the foyer for you to look at. Well, since last Sunday, we were talking about identity. I'd like to tell you a little story. And I was told it was a true story. It comes from one of my friends uh, about, I think, one of his friends who were traveling. So there were these two guys who were traveling by air together. And uh, in light of society's confusion about identity, uh, one of them thought he would do a little test. And so they're waiting there for, in, the, in the waiting area to be called onto the plane. 
And uh, you know, always first it's uh, the first class or people who need assistance, I guess, but then the first class people are the next ones to board. And so he waited for that announcement and, and of course these guys both had just economy class tickets, but he went up with the first class uh, when the first class was called. <clears throat> and then uh, when he showed his ticket to the attendant, she said, uh, this is not a first class ticket. He said, I identify as first class. Well, <laughs> that poor attendant, she didn't know what to do. And so, <laughs> uh, finally turned to one of her coworkers there and they had a bit of a conversation and then all of a sudden, one of them is off to get the manager and the manager comes and a little bit of deliberation and discussion and finally they just wave him on with the first class people. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, these guys get to the next airport where they've got another connection to make. And the other guy figures he's, he's going to try it too. So he gets, gets in line when they call up uh, people for first class and same thing, he shows his ticket, she says, it's not a first class ticket, and he says, but I, I identify as first class. Well, she didn't even skip a beat, she just said, okay, on you go. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny story, because <laughs> like, something's not quite right, and it's kind of funny, but, it's, but the, because it's so prevalent in our society, it's already becoming not so funny, you know? Uh, what do you think of a society like that? You know, is our society willing to endorse deception as a means of personal gain? Like, is that what's happening here? Or is the world so against truth that people don't even want to accept what's true about themselves? Or is it the perceived right of every individual to worship him or herself? You know, I'm the center of my universe, and so we try to make things the way we want. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's just a very interesting thing in our world. I just wonder if people think that they will somehow be able to escape accountability for their own lives and say on Judgment Day, I identify as saved. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna work. <clears throat> Reality will be a harsh, harsh truth for them. Well, that was a story for last Sunday. I should have told that last Sunday <clears throat> when we were in chapter 8 of Romans. And if you recall, we pulled a few things out of that chapter about our identity. Uh, four, four, four truths that uh, we pulled out uh, that identify us as God-fearing people. And I'm just wondering, does anyone remember any of those four? Just shout it out. Yeah, go ahead. What, 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 what four things about our identity can you remember? You don't have to feel too bad if you don't remember. I don't always remember what I say either. What were four pieces of our, of our identity? Well, one was we're in Christ, right? We are people who are in Christ. <clears throat> and therefore, we are not under condemnation. Remember that? We're not waiting to be judged. There's no judgment for our souls, okay? We're in Christ. Second is, we're the people who walk by the Spirit, right? Therefore, we put to death the deeds of the body and we practice right living, 
We practice it. We do it. Number three, we're sons of God, right? That's not a statement about gender. That's a statement about position in the family. Sons get the inheritance. We are sons of God. We all get the inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. And uh, number four, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. We are foreknown. We were called to faith, called to service. We are reconciled with God, and one day we will be glorified. So that's what we came up with out of chapter eight as far as our identity is concerned. Chapter nine takes on a bit of a different tone than chapter eight, but in one sense it also talks about who we are. Whereas chapter eight talks about who we are positionally, chapter nine looks at who we are in the context of history. The assumption in chapter nine which is not overtly stated, is that many Jews are not in Christ. They are not receiving the gospel. And we could say say that the seed of the word of God has fallen on hard soil and it is not taking root. And it's this realization that caused Paul to grieve for the sake of his people because of their hardness of heart. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And then, of course, that that list. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Paul's anguish was so deep that he could, that he wished that that he could be cut off for their sake. In other words, that somehow he, if he could lay down his life, that they would be saved. Yet that would not have saved them. Laying down his life for his countrymen couldn't bring about their acceptance of the gospel. And in fact, in a sense, he did lay down his life for them. He gave his life to the the preaching of the gospel. But Paul just felt very deeply about that, and that's that's what moved him to say that. Paul went on then to list the many things with which God had gifted Israel, God's treasured possession. They had a rich heritage of faith, history, and tradition that brought them to the doorstep of salvation, literally face to face with the Messiah that they were waiting for. And yet the Jews could not see. Receiving Christ was the next logical step in their spiritual journey as the people of God, but their inability to see left them outside of the kingdom of heaven. Their hearts were hard and pride would not let them bend the knee. Well, one might conclude then that all God's talk about being their God and being their deliverer and they being his people uh, was a failed promise. Somehow it just didn't happen. Empty words because most people in Israel rejected the Messiah when he came. 
He came to his own and his own did not receive him, says John 1 verse 11. Yet Paul said it was not so. The word of God had not failed. <clears throat> what Paul then proceeded to do was pull back the curtain a little on God's marvelous and mysterious plan to save a people called by his name and to show that the word of God had not failed. Verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, Paul wrote, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Well, that's a new thought. Who in Israel would ever have thought such a thing? And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. You can imagine how that sounded to the Jews. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So what are we hearing here? <clears throat> For over 2,000 years, God had been patiently walking with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the nation that they became, affirming his promises and giving them tangible examples of spiritual realities that he wanted them to grasp. This is what Paul was getting at when he said, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, that verse. Everything that God was doing with the children of Israel pointed to his son. Everything that he commanded them was to bring them into relationship with Jesus. One thing that might be helpful for our understanding is that in the ancient Near East, it was understood that each nation had their own God or gods. You may have observed this as you read your Bible. <clears throat> Here's a verse from 2 Kings 23 that speaks of the reforms that King Josiah was making when he cleaned house after discovering the word of the Lord. It says this, and the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon built those uh, to please his many foreign wives. <clears throat> but all these were the gods of the surrounding people. Each nation had their own God. Well, the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt was Israel's God. <clears throat> he was their God, and they were his chosen people. So now when we read Paul, and he says that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, it does not make sense to unbelieving Jews. But it's a huge revelation of God's plan to redeem people from the earth, a people called by his name. Throughout their history, the children of Israel were God's chosen and only people. 
And God was faithful to them. What we are seeing here in Romans is a redefinition of Israel, <clears throat> or more accurately, it's God's definition of Israel. So if it's not the natural descendants of Israel who belong to Israel, but the children of the promise, then what is the promise we're talking about so that we can understand what is being said? In verse nine we read, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Well, what's so special about that? What does it say about who Israel is? Well, what's special about it is that it promises a son to a woman who never had a child in all her childbearing years. And at the time of this promise, Sarah was well beyond the time of her childbearing years. Not only was she barren, but the, but the mechanism for conceiving a child no longer worked. And of Abraham, it is said in both Romans and Hebrews that concerning the bearing of children, he was as good as dead. So Isaac was not conceived in the natural way. God gave power to both Abraham and Sarah's bodies for her to be able to conceive and bear a son. Isaac was a son of promise, not of natural descent from the flesh. But there's more. Let me read from Genesis 17, verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, sorry, it was Abram at that time, appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Well, who are these multitude of nations? Abraham is the father of the Israelites by Sarah. He is the father of the Ishmaelites by Hagar. And he is the father of the Midianites by his second wife, Keturah. Is this the multitude of nations that God promised? <clears throat> In Genesis 13, at verse 16, God said to Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. <laughs> A couple of chapters later, God said to Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's Genesis 15, 5. And again in Genesis 22 at verse 17, God said, I will surely bless you. 
I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Well, for these promises to be fulfilled, something other than natural propagation needs to take place. Many nations already existed, and they too were propagating. Paul gives further insight in Romans chapter 2, at verse 28, where we read this. For no Jew is one, sorry, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So the true Jew is one who bears the mark of circumcision in the flesh, according to the law, which is a symbol of the mark made by God on the heart. That would be the true Jew. Listen to what Moses said Deuteronomy. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Circumcision was never about the mark in the flesh but about the mark on the heart that identifies a man as belonging to God. So the Jew who bears the mark of circumcision in the flesh, yet does not bear that mark on his heart, is not a true Jew. He does not belong to God. The man who does not bear the mark of circumcision in the flesh, yet bears the mark on his heart, he is the one who belongs to God. This means that God can have a people that goes well beyond the limits of the natural descendants of Abraham. It means that believing people everywhere belong to the living God. For when they believe, he puts his spirit in them and they receive the mark on their hearts that they belong to God. So what do we know now? we have established that the propagation of multitudes of nations with Abraham as their father is not something that happens naturally, but supernaturally. It does not follow a lineage of natural descent, but a lineage of faith. Listen to Paul's explanation in chapter 4 of Romans. At verse 16, He says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God has called into existence the multitude of nations that call Abraham their father in the lineage of faith. We do not think, sorry, do we not think of Abraham as our father, forefather of faith? I think we do. Do we not claim our spiritual heritage to include Abraham and all the saints of scripture who likewise trusted God? I think we sense we belong to them and with them. <clears throat> so the true people of God includes all believing Jews and all believing non-Jews. This is the eternal people of God whom God has predestined since before the creation of the world to be conformed to the image of his Son. Us 21st century believers are joined with the believers of ancient Israel to comprise true Israel, the Israel that Paul is talking about. This is a huge shift in how Israel perceived themselves. Yet spiritually, it is the logical outworking of God's promise to Abraham, the father of many nations. The writer to the Hebrews also brings together the ancient heroes of faith with the saints of his day. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Do you see? We are one people, not just with all Christians who live now on the earth, but with all believers throughout history. True Israel is and has always been those people in all ages who love and believe God. The saints of today belong to the one body of believers that encompasses all of human history and spans the globe. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, <clears throat> this is chapter three, verse four. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it had now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one people. We who were not a people are now the people of God. Once we Gentiles had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. Paul quoted Hosea in Romans 9.26, saying, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. So we are not second-class believers or another people of God because we are not in the natural lineage of Abraham. We are, we're sorry, we are adopted into the one family of God along with fellow believers from ancient days to be one people, God's treasured possession. We will inherit as joint heirs with Christ everything that God has in store for his people Israel. Therefore, since, as we concluded last week, that we are in Christ, we are people who walk by the Spirit, we are the sons of God, and we are predestined by God to be conformed to his Son. And now, since we are included in true Israel, we can also claim all the eternal promises that God made to his chosen people. For we are his chosen people. We are his treasured possession. Let me read just a few of those promises. <clears throat> From Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look to the Look to the place, look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Speaking to King David, God said, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And of course, we know that it is his son by natural lineage, Jesus, who sits on that throne. Psalm 37, <clears throat> verse 2, says, the, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell on it forever. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is our turf, <laughs> interestingly, not the devil's. Though he has power here now, we will inherit the earth. This is our place. And finally, in 1 John 2, verse 25, John wrote, And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the word of God 
has not failed. It is fulfilled in marvelous and unexpected ways. We, together with many others, were promised to Abraham when God made him the father of many nations. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or been his, his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That is from Romans 11, end of the chapter. Let us live our faith with boldness, with joy, and with great confidence in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, even as we have been, even as these mysteries have been revealed to us, what your plan has been all along for your people to be their God and to live among them. Even though this has been revealed to us, it is still, in a sense, unbelievable. Who are we that you would pay attention to us, and yet we are the fulfillment of a promise you made to Abraham? How very marvelous. Father, we recognize that we are sinful people, <clears throat> that we are not worthy of anything that you have done for us. We understand that because we are born into sin and because we have all willingly sinned on our own, we are all worthy of death and eternal separation from you. Yet you have revealed yourself to us and required of us a response of faith. And with that response, you've brought us into your kingdom by the blood of Jesus, who has redeemed us from our sins and reconciled us with you. It is marvelous in our eyes, and we give you praise. Hallowed be your name. Amen. For a final song, we'll sing number 337, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We will sing the first two verses, and uh, Brother Victor will give us the closing, and then we'll sing the last verse together. Let us rise.
Would you receive this benediction and this blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.